0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. I'm going to be reading verses one through seven. We'll focus our attention on verse seven. But I think it's important for us to get the context of verse seven. And what is spoken to wives that we might understand why what is spoken here in this particular passage is said to men, to husbands in verse 7. So hear the word of God in First Peter chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them is disobedient to the word, They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as would someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Well, as you know, I've been preaching a call for men to be godly, for men to be sexually pure men, spiritually industrious men, sober and sober-minded men, spirit-filled men, loving men, and more recently, Loving husbands. And in recent weeks, I've been calling men to be loving husbands in light of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. And as we looked at those verses over the last several weeks, we saw that this love that we're to have for our wives is described in this way. It is to be a particular love, a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, and a nurturing love. Husband, your love for your wife is to be a particular love, exclusively and uniquely set upon her in the covenant of marriage. It is to be a sacrificial love that humbly puts yourself aside, foregoes and forfeits your own desires in order to serve your wife and seek her good. It is to be a sanctifying love that seeks her spiritual good, strengthens her relationship with Jesus Christ, and aids her in growing in holiness. And then last week we saw that it is to be a nurturing love that cherishes her as you tenderly care for her, protect her, and lead her, even as Christ does for his own body, the church. Men, this is a choice, not a feeling. Someone has said, love is the feeling you feel when you feel like you're going to get a feeling that you've never felt before. (laughs) While we may not say that, sadly, sometimes we practically live that way and we define love that way. But love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Feelings come and go. But our obedience to God as men is to be constant. And so we've seen, husbands, we are to choose to love our wives at all times and in all circumstances, even as Christ loves his church. And in this way, a man is to live in that one flesh relationship, that sacred covenant relationship with his wife. And in this way, he is to be a godly husband and glorify the God who has saved him by grace. Men, are you glorifying God in this way? Well, this morning, I want us to spend one last week on this call to be loving husbands by looking at 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Again, it says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as would someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, in this verse, we find that our love is described by how we live with our lo- our wives. You're to live with your wife in an understanding way and in a way that honors her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now, to help us understand this verse and Trust me, there's a lot in this verse. You just read it and you think, well, this is pretty straightforward, although it has some things that maybe are a little thorny in our culture today and the way it's described, but yet there's really a lot to understand in this one verse. And so to help us, first we need to see the context of this verse and then specifically the instruction found in this verse. First, we need to see the context of this one verse in the whole letter of this letter by the Apostle Peter. This letter is written to Christians who are dispersed abroad throughout the region, according to chapter 1, verse 1. They have been sovereignly chosen by God, saved by His grace, He speaks of in the first part of, the cha- of chapter 1. And as believers, these Christians were facing all kinds of trials, including persecution which was about to get worse under Emperor Nero in Rome, as we know from history. And In the midst of a hostile world, which was slandering believers, falsely accusing believers of sin, Peter is concerned that they live in obedience to Christ and give no just cause of accusation of sin against the church. Therefore, he writes in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. And he exhorts them, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So there we have the purpose. He wants them to live in such a way that even as they're being falsely accused, that it would be just that, false accusations against their character. That their behavior would be excellent as they live in the world, as people observe their behavior, and that ultimately their lives would glorify God. And so the goal, ultimately, of what Peter is writing is the glory of God in the lives of believers, no matter the outward circumstances. We should want God to be pleased with our lives. And God to be glorified by a watching world. One way we glorify God is in our relationships. And one of those most important relationships is that of marriage. Now, Peter addresses many relationships in this epistle. He addresses in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, the believer in relationship to the unbeliever and how we're to live in the world. In chapter 1, verse 22, and chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, he addresses specifically how the believer is to live in relationship to other believers. In chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, how the Christian is to live in relationship to the governing authorities to the glory of God. He even addresses slaves who find themselves now as believers who are under a master in chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. And he says, in that circumstance, even you can glorify God. He addresses church leaders, pastors in relationship to the flock, and the flock in relationship to church leaders. But here he addresses the relationship of marriage in chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And notice that the goal in all these relationships, if you read through 1 Peter, the goal is Godward, that that God would be glorified in all these relationships. And so in chapter 2, verse 13, he speaks of our relationship to governing authorities being for the Lord's sake. And in chapter 2, verse 19, he speaks to slaves who find themselves... In that station in life now, as believers, that they can do so and, and be obedient to their masters for the sake of conscience toward God. And he says that when they do that, when they seek to be God pleasers rather than man pleasers, that this finds favor with God, chapter 2, verse 20. The same is found in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, in relationship to wives. He speaks ultimately of not primarily their relationship to their husbands, but but their relationship to their husbands in light of God and His glory. And He speaks of a demeanor and a spirit that's precious in the sight of God, chapter 3, verse 4. He speaks of those women of old who hoped in God, chapter 3, verse 5. So the motive and goal is always to please and glorify God. And the home is the place or a place where God is to be glorified and the gospel is to be lived out. And so in the verses I just read, in chapter 3, 1 to 7, the Apostle Peter is saying to wives and husbands, this is how you can glorify God in the home. Wives by joyfully and respectfully submitting to their husbands and by husbands leading their wives with love and understanding. Men, over these weeks that I've been calling you to be godly men, it has been a call, an exhortation for you ultimately to glorify God with your life. This must be your motivation. This has to be your goal. This is something you must be zealous about. We talked about that last Lord's Day evening as we prayed together. I began by talking about a zeal for the glory of God. Your motivation must be the glory of God in every area of your life. The glory of God in your marriage. And the glory of God in relationship to your wife. This is how you glorify God, men. What's described here in verse 7. This is one way you glorify God before a watching world. By living with your wife in the marriage covenant in obedience to God and His design for marriage. So this is the context. Glorify God in all of life and in particular in this most sacred relationship of marriage. But Let's consider specifically the instruction itself. And we'll consider this one verse under these three main headings. Husbands, live with your wife, know your wife, and honor your wife. So three simple headings. Husbands, live with your wife, know your wife, honor your wife. And there's really a progression in this verse that we begin, and it's going to be kind of what you you would say, telescopic, as we we see the first part, and then we, we pull the telescope out a little more and see a little more of what this verse says. First, live with her. Then know her. And then honor her. And each part... As it's extended, we see a little more of what it means to glorify God in relationship to our wives. So we begin with, live with your wife. You husbands, in the same way it says, live with your wives. Now, we need to just stop there. Again, we're going to take it word by word, phrase by phrase. The Greek word translated, live with, here in in this verse, sometimes refers specifically to the sexual union in marriage. But more often, this particular word refers to the full spectrum of what is involved in a husband and wife's relationship in the home as they, what you might say, domicile together. As they live together, as they dwell together. It refers to the full spectrum of what that life together is to look like. Therefore, it refers to living together, taking up residence together. But it means more than that. However, marriage cannot be lived out apart from living together. And so let's first consider the most basic meaning, what is assumed by this phrase, live with your wives. Now, it's translated in the New American Standard I'm reading as live with, but your translation might say dwell with. The King James says dwell with them. Now under normal circumstances, apart from extraordinary circumstances, husbands are to dwell together with their wives. Now an extraordinary circumstance would be times of war. Or a man who's deployed in the military and the like. But at the most basic level, we know that husbands and wives are to live Together. A man cannot fulfill his responsibility of how to live with his wife if he's not living with his wife, dwelling together with his wife. So in that sense, location is important. A husband and wife are to share a dwelling together. Leaving father and mother and cleaving to one's wife means that now joined in the covenant of mirrors, they dwell together. This is why when we hear of a man and a woman living together outside of the bonds of marriage, we're rightly concerned. They should not be living together unless they are married. However, living with your wife means more than just being under the same roof. Now that's important. Location is important, but it means more than that. And if I were to ask you, husbands, do you live with your wives? All of you would say yes. Of course we do, but if we're going to be godly husbands who love our wives, then we must do more than take up space in the same home. We must do more than sleep and eat there. When Peter says live with, it means more than living at the same address, although that is a given. God's design for marriage is more than just living in the same location. It carries the idea of intimacy and involvement. Are you involved in the life of your wife? Are you in this most intimate relationship with your wife? Men, how much time do you spend at home? And how much time do you spend with your wife at home? How much time do you give to her? Do other things consistently take precedent over your wife? How much time do you really spend talking to her and listening to her? How involved are you in her life? You see, men, you can be at home and not really dwelling at home in the way that God commands. There's a phrase that people use today they talk about men having their man cave often it's a place for man to be in his own home while retreating from the relationships he has at home this is a place for men this is the man cave this is where he retreats and does those things that are just for men and and things men are interested in and you may not have a so-called man cave But practically speaking, do you? Where you retreat and you're away from your wife and your family and you're not really living with them. Unfortunately, sometimes husbands simply don't give time to their wives. It's not the priority. You may have heard someone ask, how do you, to your children, how do you spell love? Or how do your children spell love? And you've probably heard someone say, they spell love, T-I-M-E. If we're to love our children, we're not just to be at, the home, at home. We're to spend time with our children. I mean, the same is true with our wives. We must spend time with them. Not just dwell in the same place, but be involved in their lives. This is a part of what it means to live with them. Godly husbands take time to be with their wives, to communicate with their wives, to be involved with their wives. They make choices to build unity in that relationship and involvement and intimacy in the marriage relationship. There is no other relationship more important on earth than your relationship to your wife. Not your work relationships, not your relationships with friends, not even men, your relationship to your children. Children are a stewardship But that relationship will change, but the husband-wife relationship is permanent. And is the only relationship that is spoken of as this one flesh relationship and union. So husbands, are you building this kind of unity in marriage? Are you really dwelling with your wife? Are you involved and are you growing in intimacy? It says live with your wife dwell together with your wife some of you may live more with your coworkers so to speak at your job than you do with your wives or you're committed more to your job or your boss or the money you make than to your wife some of you may live with the TV or sports or internet more than your wife some of you may live with your iPhones and your iPads and your Androids more than with your wives Some of you may live more with your social media than you do with your wife. You have to evaluate it and and really consider how much time am I spending. Yes, I may be under the same roof, but that does not mean that I am living with, dwelling with my wife. So we need to evaluate. This joining together of marriage, the two becoming one flesh means more than just having the same address. So let me summarize in this way. In marriage, a man and a woman live together. They dwell together. Apart from marriage, a man and a woman ought not to live together. People make excuses and say, but we want to try it out. No. It's expedient financially. No. But we're not physically intimate. It's foolish to say the least to place such a temptation before you. And the world is watching, and what do you think they may think if you're dwelling together before marriage? So apart from marriage, a man and a woman ought not to live together. But in marriage, they dwell together, but it's more than dwelling together at the same location. A husband and a wife are to be intertwined together in this one flesh relationship, this binding relationship involved with one another in unity, living and let's say it this way, doing life together to the glory of God. And in this way, we fulfill one of the purposes for which God created marriage, namely companionship. Make sure that companionship, men, grows as you dwell together with her. So husband, live with your wife. Dwell together with your wife. And all of what that means. But secondly, Peter goes on to say, live with your wives in an understanding way. An understanding way includes living with her with kindness and love and consideration. Parallel with other passages of Scripture would be what we just saw in Ephesians 5, to love your wife. Many wives say, my husband is insensitive, he doesn't seem to care about me. No, we're to live with him in an understanding way. We understand that that's a part of what it means to love her, is to be kind, to care for her, to be compassionate. Now this would have been very strange... In the culture, in the time in which Peter writes this, women were treated more like property in Roman culture. Polygamy was common. Men had many wives, and they had concubines for cohabitation. And women existed in that culture primarily for selfish pleasures. And even among the Jews of that time, the marriage relationship was often dishonored. Men could divorce their wives for such trivial things as burning food. And in that time and in that culture in which Peter writes, women were were demeaned. They had fewer legal rights and moral rights than men. And that's still true today in many parts of the world. And so what Peter wrote then, and even now, but especially then, it was radical. These Christian husbands didn't own a wife. They were to dwell with them in an understanding way. They were to be kind and caring toward their wives they were to be involved in their lives and build intimacy with their life their wives and in so doing peter says this is how you glorify god this is how you live the gospel and the implications of the gospel to a watching world some attack christianity and say that it's demeaning to women but the opposite is true christianity gives wives honor But why have I not named the second point, understand your wives or be considerate to your wives, but instead know your wife? Well, the reason is because this phrase, translated here in an understanding way, literally means according to knowledge. According to knowledge. The American Standard Version of 1901, the ASV, from which we get the New American Standard Version says ye husbands in like manner dwell with your wives according to knowledge and the king james translates it that way as well dwell with them according to knowledge notice the phrase according to knowledge live with your wife according to knowledge Now, what does that mean let me begin by answering this practically which i believe is one application of what peter is saying one way you live with your wife in a considerate, kind, and understanding way is to know her, to know your wife, to study her. Sometimes you hear the joke, who can understand a woman? Peter says the opposite. Husbands, you are to know your wife. You're to understand her. You're to live with her in an understanding way, according to knowledge. And when you study her, when you know her, And live with her in that intimate way. You show that you love her and esteem her. You show her honor. God's design for the husband is to live with his wife according to knowledge. He's to be understanding, kind, caring. Men, do you know your wife? Do you know her spiritual weaknesses? Do you know how to encourage her spiritually? Do you know what her concerns are? And in that way, do you live with her according to knowledge? God has given you, again, a particular wife. And in that covenant of marriage, she is to be the focus of your love and your care and your protection. Do you know her? Do you live with her according to knowledge? Let me get more specific to what I believe the Apostle Paul is really referring to here. That's an application of it. But what does he mean when he says... Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. The Greek word translated knowledge is the word gnosis. It means understanding and insight. And the word is used in other places that really has the idea of not knowing a person, but often of knowledge of the truth, like Peter will write, In 2 Peter 3 verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or the Apostle Paul will write to know the love of God in Ephesians 3 verse 19. And I believe the main point that Peter is making is that we must live with our wives according to, in keeping with, and in light of knowledge of the truth of God about her. What does God say about the woman? What does God say about the wife? Where do we learn what is true about our wives, men? How do we gain knowledge about the one with whom you're in covenant relationship with? We learn it from the sacred scriptures. Here what Peter is referring to is, yes, it's personal Live with your wife, according to knowledge, your wife. But then he says, as would someone weaker since she is a woman. And so I think he's referring to what the word of God says about the woman. What it says about the role of a woman. And now how you are to live and dwell with her with that knowledge of God's word about her. So, you and I, men, must live with our wives in accordance with the knowledge of the truth of God's Word. So, in this sense, we're to be knowledgeable men, men who know the Word of God, gospel men. I've, I've sought to stir you up to be gospel men so we can love our wives as Christ loved the church. We're to be men of the Word of God, men of truth, not just hearers of the doers of the Word. And we fulfill our God given role as husbands. When we know what the Word of God says about our wives. Let me put it this way. You can't really know your wife unless you know the Word of God. And you can't love your wife unless you love the Word of God. And so again, we need to know what the Bible says about marriage. We need to know what it says about the husband, the wife. And then that knowledge has to be applied to our specific circumstances, to our marriages. This is why as a pastor, I emphasize how important premarital counseling is. What is premarital counseling? Well, it's counseling that happens before marriage. Why? Because we want to prepare for marriage. And the goal of premarital counseling is to say, here's what God's word says. Here's some topics and subjects they tell us what God says about marriage, about husband and wife, the roles of husband and wife in the marriage relationship, what you're to do together, how what God has called you to do together in that covenant of marriage, how you are to glorify God together through your communication, through how you live together, how you handle conflict in your marriage. And so... In premarital counseling, the goal of a shepherd of souls is to say, let me prepare you to live together in marriage according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the Word of God. Now we do this in other areas of life, don't we? We prepare for our vocation by gaining knowledge. We take classes, we get degrees, we we learn the skills and we apply the skills, but we have to gain knowledge. You can't just say, I want to be, and then you just are. You have to gain knowledge of that vocation and then applying that the skills of that location. But when it that vocation, but then when it comes to marriage, we often think, Well, I can just get married. I love her. That's all I need, right? Is love. No, we need to prepare for marriage by gaining a knowledge of what God says about men, the woman that you desire to marry. But of course, more than that in premarital counseling. But here Peter is focusing on the man knowing what the word of God says about his wife. To men, we need to live with our wives according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? God's word about her. So that when there is conflict and anger, men, we've stopped living with our wives according to knowledge. Men, when you give into the temptation to lust and to sin with your thoughts, you've stopped living with your wife according to knowledge. The word of God tells you to be faithful to her. When you want something and you say to your wife, just submit to me. You've actually stopped living according to knowledge of God's Word. You've now taken something and you're using certain words that come from Scripture, but you're not applying it in the right way. You're just wanting something and you're using submission as a means to get it. I mean, when you're unconcerned with matters of modesty for your wife, and maybe you're encouraging her to dress sensually, you've stopped living with her according to knowledge. Remember what it just said when I read the context of the passage, that the woman is to not let her adornment be external. She's to be chaste, not only in her behavior, but in how she dresses. And so, men, if if you don't govern that and fulfill the role, then you're not living with her according to knowledge. You need to know what God requires of your wife and why. Men, when you make your wife work in order to gain wealth and give the, care, give the care of your home and your children to someone else, you're no longer living with her according to knowledge. Are you following what I'm saying? For you're now not living according to Titus chapter 2. And what God has called her to be. Men, you need to know the Word of God. You need to be experts at marriage. You need to be able to do now the premarital counseling men, not just pastors, but as those who are growing in the knowledge of God's Word regarding the marriage, regarding your role, regarding her role, the man and the woman now joined in marriage and now applying that. Now you're living according to knowledge. All of your dwelling with her must be in accordance with knowledge of the word of God. Now the apostle Peter points out a particular knowledge that we must have from God's word about our wives that will aid us in dwelling with them to the glory of God and for their spiritual good. He says, you husbands, in the same way, live with, dwell together with your wives in an understanding way, that is, according to knowledge, know what God's word says. And then he points out something in particular they needed to know about their wives, as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Now, when I read those words, I know for a fact already, your minds are going to. What does that teach? What does that say? How does that fit? Where does God's word say that? What is it referring to? And those are the kind of questions we ought to ask. The the way the verse unfolds is Peter is born alone by the Holy Spirit. He, in his call to men, is live with them according to knowledge. And then he speaks of something that is true of them that then should dictate how you live with them. As with someone weaker. Now, let me just begin by saying this phrase has been twisted by many not to honor wives and women, but to demean them. But let me just say, first of all, that the whole context of verse 3 is to honor our wives, not to demean them. For he goes on to, to speak of assigning them, showing them honors, a fellow heir of the grace of life. So it certainly is not a demeaning phrase. Whatever it means from the outset, it's not demeaning but we have to be unprogrammed, so to speak, from being influenced by the world, that we read that and we say, oh, women are just weaker. I remember, again, when I was uh, growing up and my brother played tennis, and so we watched tennis growing up, and and I remember the, some of you remember the so-called battle of the sexes, and, and there would be men and women in sports competing against one another, and Billie Jean King and Billie Riggs would play tennis against each other and, and she beat him to show women are not the weaker sex. Now she got the doubles lines, to, he only got the singles lines, but, but that's the way the world looked at oh, are women really the weaker sex? Let's see. Because there really is this idea to use that phrase in a demeaning way. Women are the weaker sex. But again, the context here is Peter is given reason to honor our wives, not to demean them. So what does this mean? Well, there are several interpretations of it. Now, one is just saying that Peter is making the statement that women are weaker in some way. Now, literally, it's, the phrase is weaker vessel. Weaker vessel. If you're reading the English Standard Version, it says husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. The word vessel often is used to refer in Scripture to our bodies. And so the interpretation would be that this is a reference to her physical body, that she is the weaker vessel physically. And as the weaker vessel... The woman needs your protection and care. Now, we know it's generally true that men are stronger than women. There are exceptions to that, but that just proves the rule. It's the exception, not the rule. And so some have understood this to mean that because she has a weaker physical constitution, that, that men must live with them In a way that protects them. Now we'll talk about this when we talk about being strong men. We are to be protectors. But I don't think this is the primary focus that Peter has here. Instead of expressing literal weakness, this could be a figure of speech used by Peter to express how much love and care and consideration should be given to a wife you live with her in an understanding way, according to knowledge, as you would with a weaker vessel. And vessel was sometimes used of, a, of a, a, like, let's say a vase. And it was a frail vase. And so when you have those, those things in your home, you don't get it and put it aside by throwing it against the sofa. You're very careful with it. It's, it's very frail. And so you, you treat it with great care. And it's not saying that your wife is literally weaker. It's just saying you live with her as if she were and you treat her with great care and understanding. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses a similar analogy in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20 to 25. And he speaks of certain parts of the body of believers that are considered weaker. They're weaker because they're not as prominent. Their, their roles and spiritual gifts are not as prominent as other roles and other spiritual gifts and so you treat those weaker parts of the body with great honor and respect not because they're unimportant but because their role is less prominent and appears to be less important you want to honor every part of the body by treating them as a weaker vessel with great care Here's what I know for sure that this verse is not saying. It's not saying that women are weaker morally, for we're all fallen. It's not saying that the woman is weaker intellectually. That's not true. She may be weaker physically. Generally, that's the case, but that's not the point. But I believe his primary purpose here is to say positionally in her role In her calling, that position, especially since the fall, can be exploited and abused. And that's why I read the whole context. In verses 1 to 6, it speaks of a woman whose calling, whose role is to be that of submission to her husband. In the old days, the way they would speak of those in authority and those in submission would be roles of superiority and inferiority. Now, what they didn't mean by that was inferior in dignity or value, but the roles themselves are superiors. Our bosses are our superiors. In the military, we use that terminology. These are our superiors because of their role, a rank that's higher than us. Now, again, we're not talking about marriage having rank, but it's the language that was used. And so the language would be, here are those in authority by God's design. They are our superiors. Here are those by their design. They are inferior. Their role is primarily that of submission. And because of that role, they can be, in a fallen world, abused Exploited. And so Peter is saying, you need to understand that God has called her to be your helper, your help meet. It is a role of submission to your authority. But remember when I started this, we talked about the problem in Genesis 3:16, when part of the curse was this: your Eve, desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, because of sin, your desire is going to be to usurp his authority, but he's going to be authoritarian in his sinfulness. He's going to try to rule over you in a sinful way. And so since the fall, her role is one that is a very vulnerable position. Therefore, you need to live with her according to knowledge. Her her role is that of submission But it's not to be a role that is to be demeaned, but you live with her according to knowledge. This is her role. She is, in that sense, a weaker vessel, needing to be protected rather than exploited and demeaned. And so you live with her in such a way that you treat her and assign her, he goes on to say, with honor. For this indeed is an honorable position. See, here's here's our temptation, men to say, shouldn't wives be submissive to their husbands? Now, I said it in a particular way, but let me say it in a different way. Shouldn't wives be submissive to their husbands? Is that true biblically? Yes. But sometimes the question is asked, not out of wanting to know what the word of God says and living according to knowledge and understanding what that submission means and does not mean, but the question is asked in order to exploit in order to demean It's asked when a man asks me shouldn't my wife submit to me there's usually a reason why he's asking that and it's usually not good and so the point is this he's saying her position her calling in god's design originally is yes she is taken from you And she is given as a helper, a helpmeet. And before the fall, that one flesh relationship, there was complete unity, different roles, equal in value and dignity, made in the image of God, but yet different roles that mesh together perfectly to glorify God. Now the fall happens. Sin enters into the world. And there can be the abuse of that authority. And he is saying, you need to, understand and live according to knowledge you need to know that yes she is the weaker vessel in the sense not a physically weaker not in a demeaning way he's using it to say her position is that of submission to you so you be careful and live according to God's word according to knowledge she's a woman and when he says that Peter is assuming the understanding that that is not demeaning that is elevating her Remember when when God put Adam to sleep and he formed out of his rib the woman and he wakes up and he sees her and he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Those are words of honor. That she came from me and she corresponds to me perfectly in God's creation and design and it glorified God. And Peter is saying, men, you dwell with your wives according to knowledge. You know God's word and what it says. Since she is weaker, since she as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and you give her great care. Don't abuse your authority. You see, when a man becomes a widower, We don't have any instruction in the Word of God about what to do. Unless he can't physically care for himself. He's older, elderly in some way and needs care. But when a woman becomes a widow, she's in a vulnerable position. And she needs to be cared for like an orphan. Orphans and widows care for them. Because now the one who is to assign her honor and care for her and protect her and love her in God's design is no longer present. Now she's even more vulnerable. The point is is that there are some positions, so to speak, in life, and usually those positions, so to speak, of submission that makes that one more vulnerable. Children, for example, it can be greatly abused because of their role of inferiority. Hear what I'm saying. Not talking about inferior in value and dignity, but talking about their role. So fathers, don't provoke them to anger. Don't live with them in that way. Don't be abusive in your authority. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and love them in that way. Husbands, don't abuse your authority. Don't lord it over them. But live with them according to knowledge. This position they have in life can be exploited. So you live with them according to knowledge and understanding of God's word. She's your helper. And you're to lovingly lead her. She is a woman. Again, when Peter writes that, he is saying that. We've just got to be careful today because now with all the gender confusion... And prior to that, just the confusion of roles. And now even more so, we have to hear those words and say, since she is a woman, this is God's calling for her. It's not the point that she's weak. It's that she should be treated with honor. So there's the progression. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. You know the word of God. You know what it says about her role. And therefore, you understand, this is why I've been preaching on it, men. This is how we're to love our wives and live with our wives and dwell with our wives. And when we do so in a way that Christ loves us and cares for us as his church, then here's what you do. You show her honor. You assign her honor. Why? She's a fellow heir of the grace of life. The word honor here means it was sometimes translated precious. It's translated that way in 2nd or 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 7. You're to treat with honor and as if she is precious to you. Why? She's a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now, what does that mean? Now it could here life could just mean life. In God's creation, He's created man and woman, and they're fellow heirs together in this grace of. Of life itself. Life and all that God has created in life is a grace from God. She's a fellow heir with you. Equal in value, equal in dignity. Now, live life together in that way. Or it could be that life here is a reference to salvation, to eternal life. And is saying, your fellow heirs in this grace of life. You're equal as heirs of salvation. There's neither male nor female. You have the same Savior. It's the same grace that was bestowed upon you both, the same justification, the same faith. And so Peter is actually saying the opposite of how people tend to interpret this. He's saying you should never treat your wife with inferiority, but as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Our roles may be different, But our standing before God is the same. Both inherit eternal life. And he says, why do this, men? Why live in this way? Because it affects your prayer life if you don't. He says, here's a reason so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, your prayers here could be a reference to your personal prayers before God, the husband's prayers before God, or it could be your prayers, the husband and wife together, your prayers together. And if Peter is referring to the husband's personal prayers before God that will be hindered, then we see that our our horizontal relationships, and in particular here the husband-wife relationship, affects our relationship to God. It goes both ways. If we're not living rightly in our relationship to God, then our relationships with others is affected. But also, if we're not living in right relationships according to the knowledge of God's word, in those human relationships, then our relationship to God is affected. So he's saying here, not living with your wife according to knowledge, according to the way Scripture calls, and understanding her role and giving that honor... And if you don't treat her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, then it will hinder your relationship to God. Sometimes we tend to compartmentalize and we say, well, I'm walking with God. No, but I'm not doing this in relationship to my wife that God has called me to do. My prayer life is really good, but I'm not living with my wife according to knowledge and assigning her honor. Peter says, no, that's not the way it works. You can't compartmentalize your life. You're, sometimes the reason why a relationship to God is not what it's supposed to be is we're not loving our wives the way he's called us to. And then we come to him in prayer, and our prayers are hindered in some way. Because he says, if you love me, love your wife. And so now we're back to this Godward focus that really all of this is to be lived out so that our relationship to God would flourish and that glory would be given to Him. And so he says sometimes our prayers are hindered personally before God and could be that he's saying here, obviously, if you don't live with your wife in a particular way according to what Scripture calls you to do in assigning her honor, then you're not going to be able to pray with her as you should. And let me just close by exhorting you. God has called you to be the spiritual head, the spiritual leader in your home, but that does not mean superiority. That does not mean lording it over your life. That does not mean you're independent with no accountability. For the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And then it says a man is the head of a woman. If you're going to understand how you're the head of your wife in that marriage covenant, then you first need to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And as we live under the Lordship of Christ, humbly bowing the knee to Him, knowing His Word, being conformed to His Word and transformed by His Word, then we will live with our wives according to that knowledge, and it will be applied to the marriage relationship. And you're to be a leader in your home, but you're to be a lover in your home. Therefore, you're to be a loving leader, but you're also to be a learner. Knowing, learning the Word of God and humbly applying that to your relationship and marriage. Let's bow our heads together and pray for this for us, for men. And Father, I pray has been that we would Lord, truly be students of your word, studying your word, knowing your word, knowing what it says about marriage and our roles together. Lord, may we know what your word says regarding our wives or what you have created marriage for, the wife for, and how Lord, we can honor them in that relationship. Lord, you have called them to to a high calling, and where that high calling that glorifies you is one of submission and respect in the marriage relationship, but yet we know we are sinners and as men can abuse our authority. Father, may we humbly walk with you and not treat our wives in a way that would dishonor your name, may we understand the particular fears and Temptations and concerns of Lord, not only our wives, but as we think about all those, even our children and others who are called to a role of of submission and under authority in various ways, Lord. May we be careful as those who who have the headship in these relationships, Lord, to be care, careful and treating those under our care with great love, Lord, even as Christ does for us, for He is indeed His King and Lord over all, but He so tenderly cares for His own. He knows our frailty. He knows our weaknesses. He knows we are but dust. He even knows our sinfulness. He knows our temptations. And He is a sympathetic High Priest. Lord, may we, according to knowledge, live with our wives, knowing your word and, Lord, being shaped by it. and Lord, I pray in this manner, may we grow in this relationship of marriage and may our wives flourish as we as men humbly love you and love our wives. Do this, we pray, for your glory. May our children see these things and see your great design in the creation of marriage. May they see even the gospel lived out in these things. And Lord, may the world see it. And all the confusion regarding marriage and roles and gender, Lord, may we not be conformed to the world, but may we live these truths and be lights and witnesses to the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.